as hell and I wanna get ill So I go to a place where my homeboys chill Fellas out there trying to make that dollar I pulled up in the six Alright everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Bored as Hell podcast I'm Adam McDonald with Big Chunny Robot And I am Andy Wilson, also a Big Shiny Robot And it was actually a pretty busy week at the movies uh, to- Total of four movies uh, one was uh, screened for like kids' time on the days that I had to work. So Ice Age, the blah, 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 because no one cares. Collision Course. Oh, is yes. that what it is now? Okay. Yes. Okay. It's the fifth Ice Age movie. How did we get five of them? Yeah. Well, Ice Age 6 will be Ice Age, the cash cow. But yeah, so that one was, uh, I don't think anyone cares about. And if you have kids, you should be going to see Serial Life Pets anyways. Yep. Uh, but we do have Lights Out, which is a horror movie, uh, absolutely fabulous, based off the long-running BBC TV series. Uh, and finally, Darling. Uh, Sweetie Darling, yes. Uh, Star Trek Beyond, which wasn't screened for critics, and we'll talk about that later. Uh, but really fast, let me just knock out Lights Out, because this movie... Uh, okay, so this movie uh, is directed by David Sandberg. It's his very first uh, directorial debut. He did do, wrote and directed a short film version of this story a couple years ago that was well received and I'm sure you can find it on YouTube. Uh, But the basic story is that we have uh, a family, a mom named Sophie who's played by Maria Maria Bello, her daughter Rebecca Teresa Palmer who's kind of left home because mom had some uh, mental problems when she was younger and is on antidepressants and then her little brother Martin played by Gabriel Bateman. So Martin's having some problems where Mom's talking to herself, and he keeps on seeing and hearing this weird, shadowy, like, woman thing in his room. So he runs uh, runs away, goes to Rebecca's house, and explains something about her mom's talking to this woman named Diana. Well, Diana was this woman who was an imaginary character who uh, Rebecca had to deal with when she was a kid, and just kind of let it go and said, Mom's crazy, blah, blah, blah. Well, maybe not so much. You see... And I'm going to spoil some of this because this movie's a hot mess, and I just don't care. Uh, her mom spent some time at a uh, a mental institution when she was younger, and she met a girl there named Diana. Diana had a really, really bad aversion to light, where light would physically burn her, which there actually is a real disease that makes people allergic to sunlight. Uh, and apparently this girl died. Well, maybe she did, maybe she didn't. Uh, there's now this malevolent spirit, this spirit that's haunting them and possibly trying to kill them, and the way we get the whole lights out thing is that it can only be around in pitch black darkness. So if you flip on a light, if you turn on a flashlight, if you light a candle, it can't come near you because there's light. Um, actually kind of a scary idea that just is not ever implemented very, very well at all. Um, it's lazy mate film writing, it's lazy filmmaking. Uh, so the director doesn't understand that to have effective scares, you can't telegraph them three minutes in advance. I mean... You can't point the camera where you want the scare to happen and then expect everyone to jump in fright. Uh, towards the end, it does get some kind of interesting ideas when the ghost can kind of start actually turning the lights off itself. But it just it sucks. The ending's horrible, and it's just an absolute hot mess. The only good thing about it is it's 80 minutes long, uh, so 1 out of 10. This, this movie's not good. <laughs> there... It was really bad, but at least there wasn't that much of it. <laughs> but it wasn't wasn't that whole motif like, oh, well, people will get burned by the sunlight. That was the premise of the the others with Nicole Kidman, wasn't it? That no, was like that, the, was, that was the one. Where, um, oh, yeah, I think I think it was the kids had that had the same disease. 
yeah, they had that that disease where they're burned by the sunlight. That was probably a better movie. And that that sounds like uh, the Doctor Who episode Silence in the Library, mm-hmm. where the the like they get the monsters that live in the shadows, and then uh, like you get like an extra shadow, and it's super creepy. So I, I think I'm going to go watch Silence in the Library instead of uh, Lights Out. Well, and, and the biggest problem was that, again, not much really happens. It's very, very basic. And in the last 20 minutes or so, when things kind of get amped up, you can tell they're heading down for the final showdown. Uh, it actually starts getting scary. And actually, I kind of got into it for about five minutes. And then it's like the, the director went and the writer, because the director uh, helped write the the short film and then worked on the script for this one. It's like they went and saw every single horror movie made in the last 20 years and decided they wanted to just kind of like tie it all together to see if it could make sense and make their movie scary. I mean, I, so they, for instance, they go in the basement and in the, and then down there they find a black light which lets them see the creature because the creature, for whatever reason, can withstand a black light when I thought UV radiation was what was burning it, but whatever. Um, but down there they found, like, all these, like, these, like, handprints and everything, and it makes it seem like the, this creature Diana, when she was a girl, was, like, locked in the basement, and then they find her corpse. It's like, but she lived at the, they have proof she lived and died at the insane asylum, and it just absolutely unravels and falls apart, and, ugh, it's, at, at the very, the very last scene of the movie, I'm like, nope, I'm out, and just couldn't get out of the theater fast enough. It just, <laughs> CSI ghost stories. Ghost chasers. Ghost hunters from That's just that. You know that almost sounds like bad enough that that might be something you should like go get drunk and watch or something. Well, it's like if it's, it's a freaking ghost, and we've already established that. Then why can they attack it with a shovel? I mean, uh, like you can if, attack the ghost with a shovel. If you that's can, awesome. It, yes, and like and one thing they did that was cool. Like the the, the cops eventually show up because why not? And they start shooting it, and again, a cool idea is like whenever the the uh, gun would flash, it would go away, so the bullet would miss it, and it kept on like, getting closer and closer and closer, and finally kills the police police officer. Again, that's a cool idea. Mixed in with just so much crap, it doesn't even matter. It's like every single time it took one step forward, it took six back. So, yeah, this that, is like a. I, I almost hated this worse than Unfriended. We don't know how much I love that movie. So. Oh. oh. Well, that's too bad. Uh, Oh, well. But let's talk about something a little happier, Adam. Yes, sweetie darling. Let's do that. So, my question for you is, how familiar are you with the AbFab TV series? I am not not a fan of it. Like, AbFab was one of those things I was aware of, mostly because, like... It was on on Comedy Central, and I'd be like waiting around to watch like Mystery Science Theater because it was coming up next, and like AbFab was on, and so I'd catch like the last five minutes of it. Back in the days when you actually had to like watch TV on a schedule, right? <laughs> you know, uh, so like I'm familiar with uh, with the characters and the premise, and I I just never really got super into it. But I was like, oh, that's a thing, and I get why it's funny, and it, it, I just never, like, fell completely into it. 
Yeah, so for, for the uninitiated, uh, Absolutely Fabulous is the brainchild of Jennifer Saunders, uh, who plays Adina Monsoon, who is a... Oh, gosh, in the movie now, she's uh, playing a 60-year-old woman who runs a PR firm and is horrible at her job, and she and her best friend, Patsy Stone, who's played by Joanna Lumley, who is actually used to be a model, trained, Shakespearean actress. She's very, very good. The two of them just drink and sleep around and do drugs and pretend that they are fabulous, hence the name of the movie. Uh, the TV series, actually, it's been going now for 24 years, uh, but it's also, keep in mind, the British TV series, so they've only really had five seasons uh, and then a couple specials, so over that whole time, there hasn't been a whole lot, so if someone wants to catch up or get into it, um, you could probably do it within a couple days of, of watching on, like, I'm sure it's on Hulu or somewhere out there. But uh, the biggest thing I have to say with this movie is that if you are not familiar with the TV series, if you don't know who these characters are, um, you're not going to get this movie, and you're going to absolutely hate it. Uh, when we walked out of the screening, they're like, what'd you think, what'd you think? And it was like, if you know the source material, you're going to have a blast. This is a complete and utter love letter to everyone who's followed along over the last 20-some-odd years. Uh, but if you're if you're like, who is Eddie and Patsy? You, everything's going to fall flat. Um, the plot just, the plot kind of plays out like an overlong ep- uh, episode of the series. Uh, Eddie's PR firm is falling apart, and she learns uh, that Kate Moss, the supermodel, is dubbing her PR firm and is looking for new representation. So she crashes a party, accidentally pushes her over a ledge, and Kate Moss falls in the River Thames and is presumed dead. So now Eddie and Patsy are kind of on the run from the cops and from everyone in the world because they all hate her. Just wackiness ensues. But like I said, are they you, sure they just didn't miss Kate Moss? Like she turned one way and she went like completely one dimensional. <laughs> they couldn't find her anymore. Um, it's a Kate Moss a skinny joke. Yes, and it's uh, yeah, also a, a very uh, a, a bit from a Family Guy. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Are you the Matrix? <laughs> Oops. Cracking the floor. That. But no, it's it's really really funny. Uh, you've you've got all the main characters are in it, and you've got a ton of cameos. I mean, obviously, Kate's Moss, you've got John Hamm, uh, Lulu, Chris Colfer's in it, uh, Joan Collins. I mean, there's just, it's chock full. Chris Colfer? Does he yeah. sing? Uh, no, but he is her fabulous gay hairdresser who hates her daughter. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> Not to, to uh, you know, t- typecast, but it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, Gwendolyn Christie, Brianna Tarth is there. And oh, she's Ellie. fabulous. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's just a lot of fun. It hits every single note from all, you know, five uh, seasons of the series. So if you know it and you like it, you're going to love it. You're going to have a great time. Uh, so 7.5 for those who are familiar with it. If you don't know anything about this and you decide you do want to go see it, you'd probably give it a 2 or 3 because you're not going to understand what's going on. Um, but for those who do, you'll have a blast. I've already seen it twice and I'll probably go see it again. That's beautiful. It's always great when a movie can really deliver for its core fan base and um it, it's too bad though that they didn't make something that was maybe a little more palatable a way in for people who aren't as familiar with the source material which brings us to star trek beyond uh yes which so, i didn't get to see because well you'll explain yeah well, let's talk about this so paramount decided not to screen this for critics um, partly because of J.J. Abrams, the executive producer, and his whole 
like, oh, it's the the mystery box. We can't let people know what's in this movie. Unless Guess you're a critic in L.A., New York, or Chicago. but Yeah, unless you're a big national critic for a big national outlet. In which case, we will take your reviews and play up the fact that this has an 87% uh, score on Rotten Tomatoes and tell everyone how great it is. Yeah, when, when you only invite the people from the New York Times and Entertainment Weekly, yeah, you're likely to get that when, when you're cherry-picking your critics. Anyway, so... Yeah, this was weird. They weren't screening it, and they weren't screening it, and then they weren't screening it. And literally, uh, the day before, I get an email from our local rep saying, hey, we have a very limited number of passes for people who will come to the Star Trek marathon. And you have to come, and and you'll get to watch it in IMAX, but you're going to watch all three movies. And it's like, well... I'm in because you know I'm yeah. a huge I'm a huge fan so it's like yes I, I will do this and I'll have a great time but um, you know most critics were not able to get in and I don't think that that was done around the country so it was like me Harry Knowles from Ain't It Cool and like a bunch of other Austin critics but only because like they deigned to let us see this movie and I mean, we didn't see it until late, like 10 o'clock on Wednesday night. Normally, you know, your press screenings are earlier in the week, so we get a chance to, like, think about the movie, write a review. It posts Thursday or Friday when it uh, when the movie's coming out so people can see it. Not so in this case. Um, so not very pleased with, with Paramount's decision uh, here because they really should have let critics take a look at this because it's a, a pretty good movie um adam let's, let's talk about star trek for a minute sure. um i are would you consider yourself a, a, a trekkie or a trekker or in in any case a, a star trek fan oh i mean like i grew up watching uh, the original series with my dad that was a huge thing he was into uh so i've i've seen that i've seen pretty much um I don't know if I've seen all of Deep Space Nine, but I remember watching a lot of Next Gen uh, and most of Voyager. Enterprise I didn't really get into. And yeah, I've seen all the movies, uh, I think except for Nemesis. <laughs> Nemesis. That's the one that I somehow luckily avoided. <laughs> yes, if there is one to avoid. <laughs> Nemesis with Tom B as an evil Picard clone, oh, which yeah. sounds really cool on paper, right? Like, that should be awesome. Uh yeah no yeah, anyway so I mean I've, yeah, I yeah I I'm very familiar with it I know enough about it to say I'm a fan uh when it comes down to it, I'm probably more of a Star Wars than a Star Trek but there is more there is better there is more better Trek than there is better Star Wars so yeah and and there's a there's a ton more Star Trek content out there I mean you have like you said five TV series soon to be six this is now the twelfth movie. Uh, the third since J.J. Abrams rebooted the series in 2009 yeah. with an all-new cast replacing the original series cast. And and that's where we are back in here today. Uh, one of those replacements is Simon Pegg, uh, who takes over for Scotty. Uh, and Simon Pegg is one of the screenwriters here. And what he has done is craft this really beautiful love letter to fandom and to Star Trek 
by completely deconstructing their universe and then reserving it to us in this almost unrecognizable format that really plays up the strengths of this cast, the strengths of uh, of the the franchise in general, and uh, delivers a lot of fun with it. So, Adam, like, what are the most iconic things to you about Star Trek, especially the original series? Um, gosh, it's there, there's so much, but I I have to say, you know, it's this the the whole crew, how everyone kind of works together, you, you know, you remember from Chekhov to Sulu to everything else. Um, you've got the Holy Trinity, of course, Kirk, McCoy, oh, yeah. and Spock. Um, and I'd have to go with the, the ship itself. I mean, the ship itself is very iconic, and uh, even throughout the years, despite the fact that there's been other ones, the actual Enterprise itself, the look has stayed generally the same since the, the first series. Yeah, and, and I think, I mean, the, yeah, the Enterprise, it's like taken on this, like, fetishistic quality to a lot of Star Trek nerds. And so you have like so many iterations of the Starship Enterprise uh, over three different series and, and many different movies. And um, so one of the cool things Simon Pegg does is says, huh, everybody loves the crew and how they work together and how they're like a family Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the interplay between them, and everybody loves the ship. Yeah. Well, what if you didn't have those things? So before I go any further into this, spoilers. Uh, I am going to reveal some fairly minor spoilers that all take place within the first act of the movie, but are not things that have not been revealed if you've watched the trailers. But if you want to go into this movie completely fresh, stop now and know that I give this a seven and a half out of ten. But stop now. <laughs> have a good rest of the day. Yeah. Yeah. Have um, a have a great rest of the day. Uh, or actually, stay to the end because uh, I'm giving you a little musical treat after the credits. <laughs> uh, I also apparently don't watch the TV spots because I heard someone say that there's some other big stuff revealed in that. It could be the same thing you're talking about. I don't know. I haven't been watching much TV lately, so. Yeah. So. Spoilers alert. Um, what if we didn't have the crew, and what if we didn't have the ship? The Enterprise crew is on the, the back half of their iconic five-year mission, and after being out in space for a really long time, they're starting to get a little bit listless. Uh, Kirk is actually thinking about maybe taking a vice admiral job elsewhere and giving up that captain's chair. The captain's chair that he so famously in Star Trek Generations. Shatner tells Picard, don't ever let them take you out of that chair. So this is obviously young Brash Kirk. He hasn't learned that lesson. He doesn't have that love. And he's like, I don't know what we're doing out here in deep space, exploring. Why are we doing this? Uh, Spock is also going through a similar existential crisis when he finds out that old Spock has died. If you remember from the first Star Trek movie, they blew up Vulcan. Vulcans are now an endangered species, and he's like, I really should be back with the with the ruling council of my planet helping to recreate my 
my planet and my culture and preserving it, uh, which includes creating a lot of little Vulcans. Hmm. And uh, so both of them are thinking maybe we need to get out of here. But, but Spock's gay. Oh, no, that's real life. Never mind. I'm sorry. No, that's real life. Uh, he, uh, him and Ohura are in kind of a rough patch. Uh, that's been a, uh, you know, that's been an ongoing through line uh, through the first two movies and in this. So things are kind of getting frayed, but nobody's talking about it. But everybody's kind of looking for a way out. So they're given this mission to go chart a nebula. And uh, and find this planet that is within it, but no one else can get to it uh, because this nebula is so dense. Only the Enterprise has the navigational and uh, maneuverability to be able to get into the nebula. Mm-hmm. So they go in, and once they get to the planet, it's a trap. And the ship gets blowed up. The crew evacuates to this planet, and most of them are taken hostage by uh, by this warlord, Kral, uh, who is played by Idris Elba, uh, who has lured them to the planet because he wants a piece of a super weapon that he's been searching for that they just happen to have uh, in their cargo hold. Uh, I, I Well, I like to call it the Space MacGuffin. That, that's basically what it is. Um, but so... Simon Pegg is basically like, hey, you love your crew, you love your ship, I'm going to blow that all to hell, and I'm going to maroon each of the the main bridge crew on their own, and they have to kind of fight to survive by themselves for a little while until they can find a way to reunite and find their way off this planet. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's really an amazing deconstruction of what Star Trek is. And uh, it shows how deep Simon Pegg's love is for the original series. He really gets what makes Star Trek tick, uh, that he's able to deconstruct it and present each of these individual pieces on their own. In so doing, he really allows some of these uh, actors and characters to shine. Uh, Specifically, and uh, somewhat selfishly, Scotty gets a lot to do, (laughs) which is fine. There are are lots of big fans of Scotty. um, And and very beautifully and somewhat tragically, uh, Anton Yelchin gets a lot to do as Chekhov. I heard and, that, yeah. Yeah, it's it's really great. Uh the other great piece of this, the only two people who are together when they're marooned are McCoy and Spock. And they are of course the great like married bickering couple that you absolutely love. And it's just so much fun and so amazing uh to see the two of them uh on this planet and uh, Spock, you know, contemplating his his ennui and his existential crisis uh, with with Leonard Bones McCoy there, uh, you know, playing kind of his conscience on his shoulder. Uh, it's just really, really great. And there's <laughs> lots of nods to Star Trek uh, that that fans will love, and people who aren't fans won't even pick up on, except that they'll be like. Why is everybody laughing at that joke? 
<laughs> um, but well, and see, that's, that's kind of cool because that's we mentioned before with Abfab that you know that's for the fans only. Um, but this is neat that is for the fans. But if you're if you're still new to the series or new to the Star Trek in general, you'll still get what's going on and have fun with it. So yeah, and not only that, the director here, Justin Lin, who we know best from the Fast and Furious movies. Uh, it's has made a very palatable to mainstream audiences movies. Say what you will about the guy. He's not a filmmaking auteur, but he sure knows how to put an action sequence together. And boy, howdy, are there a lot of action sequences in this movie. Yeah. And they're really put together beautifully. So it's this really interesting cocktail of heady sci-fi that pays a lot of homage and fan service to the original series and big dumb summer fun and you throw the two of those together and for the most part it works there are a couple times when it it strays into one or the other Mm -hmm. and it either the heavy sci-fi fans are not going to be happy because it gets too dumb and when it gets too smart, the mainstream audiences might lose focus and attention for a little while. But other than that, it mostly works. And I think uh, based on audience reaction, we can see that people are reacting really well to this. Mm-hmm. And uh, most of the fans that I've talked to have come out saying, like, this is one of the greatest Star Trek movies ever. Civilians who aren't huge Star Trek fans seem to be liking it. And uh, so I think this is a pretty great movie. It's not the best of the Star Trek movies, but given how many bad Star Trek movies there are, it is nowhere near the worst. (laughs) I would put it somewhere in the top five of those dozen movies. Uh, Yeah. So it's, it's a very good movie. Um, I'm going to have to see it a couple more times to think about it. Um, but what I really love about this more than anything is it's it's heady sci-fi asking some very difficult questions about, you know, what is man's purpose? Why would we want to go out and explore? Why would we do these things? And, and why would someone like Captain Kirk care about doing these things? Mm-hmm. So um, I really liked it for that aspect. I also just love seeing things get blowed up real pretty. <laughs> so I, I had a lot of fun. Uh, one one thing's fans kind of bitched about the motorcycle that we saw in the trailer. Oh yeah, yeah. I I'm gonna address this just to alleviate some fears. It actually works fairly organically. Like I said, uh, this this warlord crawl has been kind of bringing people to this planet trying to collect pieces of this super weapon and because of that there are various people and uh, and old ships that are on this planet mm-hmm. and one of them just happens to be an old federation ship and it just happens to have an old 20th century motorcycle on it <laughs> so it actually works organically and uh, the action sequence that they put together with it is actually pretty fun. Um, it, it, it's not Picard on the dune buggy bad from, from Nemesis. 
buy the premise, buy the bit, and I, I think you'll have a decent time with it. And and if you don't, just wait ten minutes. It'll be over, and you'll be back to spaceships, and you'll be fine. <laughs> well, and, and you mentioned the people who are big sci-fi fans will get upset because it gets dumb. Um, these movies aren't really made for the sci-fi fans. I mean, yes, there is the, it is the 50th anniversary of Star Trek, but if only geeks went and saw these films, they wouldn't make money. So yep. it's got to appeal to a greater audience to make sure we get more of them. Well, and we need to remember that this stuff is now mainstream, and we can't complain that it's too dumb, it appeals to too many mainstream audiences. Well, that's because this this stuff is... It is. <laughs> it is. It is the mainstream, and it's no longer something that uh, we we have to just talk about in hushed tones in our basements while we're, we're sitting around our D&D boards uh, or on tiny little BBS chat rooms and on the early days of the internet. Um, Star Trek is a big deal, and uh, I think we need to allow other people into our fandom and and be welcoming to them and they can enjoy the Justin Lin parts of this movie and we can enjoy the Simon Pegg parts of this movie and we can all be fans together because we like hey we all like Kirk Picard and and Spock and uh and Bones and Janeway and Cisco and whoever else we like. Oh, and one other thing, since you mentioned Enterprise, Adam, there are a couple of very interesting references to the Enterprise series. Oh, really? And um, this is the first time I've ever felt like someone has reached into the Enterprise show and pulled something out of it that was really very interesting. And uh, it, it has to do with Crawl and his origins. And like I said, uh, this other uh, Federation ship that that is on this planet uh, that has a motorcycle in it, uh, which you've seen it in the trailers, uh, that that's an old school Federation ship uh, that is similar to the original, original Enterprise uh, from the Enterprise series. And, and how that ties into it, you'll see, and it's it's very interesting. Cool. Well, no, again, this is one I haven't wanted to check out. I just I've just been too busy, and they didn't show it to us because Paramount's dumb. So <laughs> very sad about that. Um, because I, I I don't know why they didn't put it in front of more critics' eyes. Because then it would be you gushing about this movie too, and and that's and that's too bad. Uh, so yeah, like I said. Seven and a half out of ten. Um, this movie isn't necessarily for everyone, but I feel like this is one of those things where your warp speed may vary. And if you are a huge Star Trek fan, I think that this will mostly satiate most of those fans. There's mm-hmm. a certain type of fan who's never going to like this movie, and I'm very sorry about that. Um, but depending on where you are on the fandom spectrum, you will really enjoy this. And I also think that mainstream audiences will enjoy it be as a big, dumb summer action movie. So cool. uh, go see it. Um, and I guess go see Ab Fab and don't go see Let's Out. Yes. Yeah, so stay away from that one. 
And then um, go see AbFab only if you are uh, a big fan and try to sneak in some alcohol because they are drinking and smoking the entire movie. And the people next to me had the right idea. They had a six-pack of beer uh, they brought in with them. <laughs> so I was like, Very, very smart. All right, well, that'll take it to the end uh, for this week. Next week, we've got uh, the new Jason Bourne movie, which looks fun. Yes. Uh, and then we've got the naughty, raunchy comedy Bad Moms, uh, <clears throat> which, well, I can't talk about because we were warned very specifically not to say anything. We can't talk about it, but some people may have seen it. Some people may have seen it, yes. But, uh, <laughs> and then there's also... Uh, the DC animated film The Killing Joke is having a Fathom event on Monday, and from what I've heard, we should be able to talk about it next week. Well, yeah, we'll see. Maybe we'll we'll see what happens with that. But that's uh, that's catching some flack from the the Comic Con screening. So um, I think we're going to have to talk about that. I mean, yeah. given uh, we've talked before about Mask of the Phantasm here, which had a similar uh, big screen showing, and you know, I can only hope that this lives up to uh, to that potential, as yeah. it, it's a lot of the same people involved, including Mark Hamill as the Joker. And Kevin Conroy's back as and Kevin Conroy's Batman. Back. So, uh, for those who are freaking out online, if you've not seen the movie, I uh, really can't judge it yet, so wait till you see it. It's, you know, it is the killing joke. It's probably one of the, most, one of the most iconic Batman stories uh, up there with, like, Dark Knight Returns and everything else, so... I think if this summer has taught us anything... It is that judging something by its trailer is a very, very bad idea. The Star Trek Beyond trailers did not look very good. It really betrayed what this movie was all about. The Ghostbusters trailers left a lot to be desired, and that movie was excellent. Oh, yeah. Uh, so uh, I think everyone needs to stop, 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 stop judging a movie by its trailer Wait or by what it. other people say. Go, or you will, unless it's us. You can judge it based on what we say about it. Uh, <laughs> but, but I think don't give in to the whole like clickbait mentality. There, you know, I, I think a lot of websites who are at the Comic Con panel, uh, they're like, ooh, we can really play up the drama on this, and we can get a lot of hits. And that, I mean, it's not that bloggers have like an ethical code of content, but. You know, that that's the kind of yellow journalism of the internet. Uh, I, I think we can do better than that and maybe reserve judgment until we see something ourselves. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, we'll, so we'll talk about that. I'm sure they'll be fine with it because the movie comes out, I think, the same day this podcast comes out. So yep. looking forward to it. But until then, hail Satan and have a lovely afternoon. Podcast tripping in the dead of Shatner's log, air date, unknown. The impossible has happened. It would take days to recount the events I've witnessed. So, settle in. Brace yourselves. The area of penetration will no doubt be sensitive. I picked up some indication they are planning to sabotage the Enterprise. Sabotage? How? When? Judging by the pollution content of the atmosphere, I believe we have arrived at the latter half of the 20th century. The mid-1990s was the era of your last so-called world war. Spock sabotaged the system. I can't see it. I know you're
Hawk sabotage the system. Spock sabotaged the system. I don't say something. You say something. You say something. I'm the real Shady. All you other Slim Shadies are just imitating. So, won't the real Slim Shady please stand up? Please stand up? Please stand up. Ah, can people who hate Star Trek leave? Good question. No, you, you have, have to, to stay even longer. Sabotage the system. I don't say sabotage. You say sabotage. I say sabotage. 